Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you get to a place where you can't afford to hire help, hire help. Let people shine where they shine. You stay in your lane. You shine in your zone of genius and do what you do, whether you're a writer or an attorney or a coach, do the thing that you do and let the CPA handle the CPAing, you know, the accounting. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Asha Wilkerson Esquire is a business coach and attorney who works with BIPOC entrepreneurs about business formation, contract creation, and liability reduction. She's committed to helping entrepreneurs of color not only start businesses, but also stay in business for years to come. California Lawyer Magazine has named Asha Wilkerson a super lawyer rising star for the past six years. She received her law degree from the University of California, Hastings, and earned a Master's of Business Administration at California State University, East Bay. You can follow Asha on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. This episode is for all mi gente who are the new entrepreneurs who are struggling to balance their corporate jobs with their side hustle and you're feeling overwhelmed 
you're feeling like, how the hell am I going to get all these things done? We're going to give you practical strategies in this episode to work smarter and not harder. Hint, hint. You don't have to do everything yourself. (laughs) We're dropping so many gems in this episode. So if you are in the entrepreneurial trenches right now and you need some advice on how to make this a little less difficult, you definitely don't want to change the channel. Stay tuned. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Asha, welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. This is super exciting. I love talking to brilliant women like yourself. And so let's start off with you introducing yourself to the audience. Yeah. So my name is Asha Wilkerson. I reside in Oakland, California, a proud Oakland resident. And I'm a business attorney and coach. I'm also a full-time community college professor. I run a paralegal program at American River College in Sacramento, California. So that's my professional background. (laughs) I love it. Okay. So I want to know more about you. I want the listeners to get to know kind of your backstory. And I love starting off the podcast with this question because I feel like it frames the whole discussion. So let's talk about your relationship with money growing up. Mm -hmm. What did you learn about it? What did you not learn about it? And kind of how did that shape the relationship that you have with it now as an adult? So my first inclination was to say, I learned nothing about money, but that's not actually true because even if you're not being actively taught something, you're still picking up. So my family, like a lot of black families in America, we just didn't talk about money. My parents went through a divorce that was really costly on my mom's side. And she had said years later that she never adjusted her spending habits because she didn't want me to suffer. And then I would see glimpses of it. I remember the first year I went to this private high school and my mom paid for books the first year and it was like $1,200 for books for high school students, right? So my dad said, she was like, you got to ask your dad if he'll pay for the next year. And so he said, yes, but because I had books to exchange, it was like $300 that he had to pay for books versus her $1,200 that first year. And I just remember her being upset thing. It was just so unfair, right? And there's more to that in terms of like taking responsibility. But I don't feel like I actively learned things about money. I knew when money was tight because there would be some comments or exasperation about something, but I wasn't actively taught this is how you balance the checkbook. I saw my mom doing it, but I didn't learn about it. I didn't understand how much either one of my parents made or where the money went. I could pretty much do everything that I wanted to do as a kid. So I'm really grateful for that. So when I got to college, bouncing checks and I'm like, what? (laughs) I'm going to be able to add, but I just hadn't developed the skill. So I really had to learn it on my own. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast can totally relate to that. Like you might've seen the actions, but you didn't understand sort of the mechanisms behind how to do things. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, I hear now that like, they don't even teach kids how to like sign their names. And I'm just like, how the hell are y'all going to sign checks and contracts? Like I'm confused. Right. <laughs> yeah. Digitally these days. I remember even my best friend, she had just got her check. We were like 16 or 17. And so she'd got a checking account and we were in probably like, I don't know, some store that was popular at the time. Like, I don't know, some kid's store. Right. And <laughs> I knew how to write a check because I saw my mom write a check, but she hadn't seen her parents write a check. And so I just remember helping her like, this is what you write here. This is where you sign it. And to think that I could teach her that, I just thought it was so funny. But you're right. These things, if we don't actively learn and develop the skills and understand, you mimic what you see, but you don't totally get it. So you might Mm -hmm. imitate it imperfectly, so to speak. Right. Okay. So let's talk about your career. So you mentioned you're an attorney. How did you get to wanting to pursue that as a career? Yeah, I call myself the accidental attorney. If one can accidentally end up in law school, somehow that was me. Sounds like a lot of deliberate in actions in order to end up accidentally yeah. as an attorney. You know, you're right. You're right. That is also accurate. <laughs> I wanted to be a teacher. My mom was a principal my entire life, and I always loved kids. I didn't grow up with siblings, so like kids were my passion. I thought I was going to teach. I was that weird kid making lesson plans in like second and third grade. I don't know anybody else who did that except for the friend I was making lesson plans with. And then in college, I had the opportunity to take part in this pre-law undergraduate scholars program for students from underrepresented groups in the legal profession. And my job at the Boys and Girls Club in Portland lost funding. And so I lost the job and I was like, well, I guess I'll apply and just see what happens. And that is often my mantra in life, just apply and see what happens. So I applied, got in, was like, oh, okay, well, I don't have anything else to do this summer. They paid us like $800 for the summer to participate, which was a lot of money as a college student. And I enjoyed what I was exposed to. I met judges, I met attorneys, I met public defenders. I went to nonprofits and I enjoyed that learning process. And I thought, okay, let me just keep going. Let me apply and see what happens. And I really liked law and order growing up, but not for the attorney part of it. I liked it for the psychology part of it. So I wanted to be Dr. Wong, the forensic psychologist. I was either going to be a teacher or a forensic psychologist and then ended up in law. So I applied to law school got in early decisions. So I knew right around Thanksgiving where I was going to go. And I was like, well, I guess if I'm here, let's walk down this path. And I ended up choosing it because I thought it would be the best opportunity to help as many people as possible, but also give me a breadth of ways to be able to help. Whereas teaching, I would be in the classroom. And I was also concerned that I would get bored or feel restrained by having to be in the classroom all day long. Mm-hmm. So I hear a lot of stories of attorneys who go to law school and then figure out later that they hate being an attorney. So how did you decide what specialty you wanted to select, right? Because I feel like that probably has a lot to do with kind of your quality of life as an attorney. Yeah, it does. So I come from a line of civil rights activists. My mom is from Jackson, Mississippi. My grandfather risked his life to register Black folks to vote back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. He worked along with, alongside Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Medgar Evers and is a figure. My mom went to the University of Mississippi. She was the first Black woman to integrate the University of Mississippi not that long ago. She's still alive. She's my mother. <laughs> you know? So these things didn't happen that long ago. So the idea of standing up for people and being a voice for the voiceless and righting wrongs was always just a part of 
my life and a part of the things that I was passionate about. And so to bring that back around, so some statistic, like, you know, after the first five years of being an attorney, most attorneys quit or do something else. And I did, I came to that crossroads. I were doing plaintiff side employment law. So people who had been discriminated against and lost their jobs based on the protected category, race, age, gender, nationality, things like that. And I got burnt out. It was a lot of emotional work for me to represent folks who identified with being a woman of color and just felt their pain being someone who's highly empathetic. And I just got totally burnt out. And I had to ask myself, I said, Asha, what do you really like to do? And I came back to teaching and traveling. And I said, I want to have a job. And my goal was already to have this virtual law practice, one that was tied to California because that's where I'm licensed, but that I could be anywhere in the world and interact with clients. But I said, okay, I want enough money to live off of. I want to travel and I want to teach. And so I took a break from law, started teaching law, and then came back and said, I'm going to come back, but I'm going to come back in a way that really supports the lifestyle that I want to live. And that really, really focuses on my strengths so I can minimize those things that I don't like. So now in my practice, I'm teaching entrepreneurs and business owners about the law, but also about business. And I thought about, do I just leave this law behind me? But I'm actually able to offer something unique beyond most business coaches because I do have that legal background and I can walk through the steps. Okay, if you don't do it like this, here are the consequences. The choice is yours, but here's what you need to know before you make that decision. I love how you were able to use your existing skill set and spin it off into something that served you, right? Because I think a lot of people get stuck in this idea that like there's only one way to do something or one way to use their skills. And it's like, that's the furthest thing from the truth. It takes a little bit of creativity, a little bit of risk taking, Mm -hmm. but the payoff can be so rewarding if you just give yourself the opportunity to even entertain the idea. Yeah, absolutely. And it is a big risk, right? I mean, especially in law where it's very white male dominated and then white women dominated and then just male dominated on top of that. And I'm six one. I have natural hair. I just stand tall and I have a personality that is a lot. (laughs) Not overly a lot, but you know, like I just have that personality. People notice me when I walk into the room. And so I was either going to stand out because I was fitting into a mold that didn't really fit, or I was going to stand out and be exactly who I needed to be. And it does take some strength and it does take some self-confidence and it takes some practice to get comfortable walking in your light, but it's so worth it to find something that is in alignment with what you have learned, what you enjoy doing and something that makes you happy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Love that message. Okay. So the transition period from being a lawyer to then teaching the law to then spinning off into your own business. Can you talk us through that? Because that transition and like just making those changes can feel super overwhelming to a lot of people. So I'd be curious to understand kind of the framework that you put in place and maybe the timeline that you put in place. Like what was your method behind making all this stuff happen in a way that wasn't going to make you feel like, you know, this is even worth the drama? Right. So the first thing is that it didn't happen overnight. It was gradual. It happened over a period of a few years. But because teaching is my passion, and it always has been, as soon as I graduated law school, I was looking for opportunities to teach as an adjunct professor Even in law school, I was teaching high school and middle school kids about the law. I've always taught exercise classes. I became an adjunct professor 
at Cal State East Bay, I think three or four years after I started practicing law. So, and that was my passion. That was something for me. Teaching adjunct doesn't really pay you enough money to live off of unless you've pieced together the hustle, but it was just something that I wanted to do. And so even though life has always been busy, I've always had these goals, I've always done something that I have loved to do. And then that got me in the door for teaching. And then when this opportunity came up, to teach full time, I already had the background for it. And the timing just worked out where I was burnt out and ready for a change. I had applied to that full time teaching job, though, gosh, probably six months before I actually got it, five or six months before I got I'd completely forgotten that I had applied for it. And I think when you put it out there that this is what you want to do, when you build up your skill set. So one of the other things I was concerned about that I was only an adjunct instructor. And I thought, well, what else can I do? How do you get more teaching experience? So I just started running workshops. I started teaching business owners what they need, what I thought that they needed to know about different aspects of employment law, business law contracts. I reached out to bar associations or different groups and said, hey, can I do a presentation for you all? And so even though I had never worked full time as an instructor before, I had enough dots of experience on my resume to give me the credibility to be ready for that position. And it was all for me. It was purposeful, but it was also stuff that I enjoyed talking about. And so I think being being intentional about where you spend your time and thinking about what is the end goal and what are the baby steps or the little steps along the way that I can do to get me there. I think that's really important. Important mm, to remember. That is so powerful. That is such good advice, y'all. Like you need to rewind and play this back because Asha's dropping gems. And I can <laughs> definitely attest to you might not see like what the opportunities that are going to be presented to you are at the moment, but it's all about getting super intentional and just like really getting clear on the things that you're saying yes to and the things that you're saying no to, because both of those are gonna lead you towards possibly two very different paths. And you kind of have to predict the future a little bit just based on the things that continue to happen as you continue to show up. Absolutely. So even just something else about that, you know, you want what you want, but you also have to be open to the way that it arrives to you. It may not look like what you wanted. So at the time I was running my practice full time and was burnt out, but that was my sole source of income. I decided to go back and get my MBA because I thought that would make me a better business attorney and business advisor because I had branched out into business law. Turns out I didn't really need the MBA, but I got it anyway. So after my first quarter of MBA school, I get the phone call that I want to be interviewed for this teaching job. Now I'm in Oakland, Sacramento is where I'm teaching and it's 90 miles away. My friend had just told me just apply. And I'm like, I don't want to be in Sacramento. I'm not moving. She's like, I should just apply. So I get the first interview happens. It's virtual. And I'm in Miami getting ready to go to Cuba for three weeks over the Christmas vacation. Right. And In the interview, the computer blows up on their side. My cousins and stuff, they have the AC on. They turn it off during the day. And so like the AC goes off and I'm in the middle of my presentation. I had my cute little sweater on. By the time the computer comes back up and we're back on the video, I'm like half naked with my tank top on. And I'm like, I'm sorry, my shoulders are out, you guys. It's just really hot in this house. And I don't know where the temperature controls are. And it was this weird interview process because you can't ask follow-up questions and 
they get federal dollars, you know, state employers. So just weird. Right. But I was like, you know what, I'm doing whatever I can. And this is it. Like I'm confident in what the presentation is. I go to Cuba and went with my friend to talk to her Santero and he like reads me. And he's like, I just see you. You're writing on a wall. I was like, I'm an attorney. I don't know what you're talking about. We don't write on walls. We write on papers. And I was like, oh, but I just had this interview for this teaching position. He was like, that's it. I go and catch the internet because you got to catch the internet wherever you can in Cuba and have a message in there that says, oh, you did well in your interview. We want to bring you in for the in-person interview on the way back. Now, again, running a full-time law practice, just started business school. And then they want, they actually ended up hiring me like literally four days before the semester started. And I had to make a choice. This is what I said that I wanted. What the hell is all of this mix of <laughs> schedules? And like, how am I going to close down one thing and take a break and start this other thing? And I'm still at school full-time and all of this stuff. But all that to say, like, be open to the way that things are coming towards you and be clear about what it is that you want. And it may take time. So I started teaching full-time seven years into my legal career, but I had been looking for those opportunities since the day that I graduated. Did you finish the MBA program? I did because, girl, I'm not a quitter. So I just have to keep going. I'm tired for you. (laughs) Jesus Christ. That's a lot. Yeah. The three little letters look cool behind my name. But so for those of you who are interested in going to business school, if you're already running a business, you probably don't need it. So a lot of the people that I was in school with had not run their own businesses. So there were things that I learned that I just knew because I'd had the experience. And if I wanted to go to some big, you know, Fortune 500 company, that'll probably help. But in terms of what I wanted to do, I wish I would have known how to trust my experience, but I didn't have that validation before. So going to school made me realize that I knew more than I thought that I did. Mm, That's a really important message because I feel like a lot of us have these limiting beliefs that we need like every certification, every official blessing from the experts in order to show up as a business owner or whatever, a thought leader. So can you talk us through kind of some of the limiting beliefs that maybe you encounter with your clients Mm -hmm. and how can we start to overcome these and start showing up as our authentic selves? Yeah. So one of the things that I'm passionate about, and I love entrepreneurship. I want people to start their own businesses if that's what they want to do. So I'm not pushing everyone to do it, but if you're going to do it, I want you to be intentional about it because the goal for me is to help you build a business that will then leave a financial legacy. So one of the limiting beliefs that I find for my clients, but also for myself sometimes is, is it really possible to leave this financial legacy that I want? Is it really possible to get the kind of contracts that I want and need to grow this business? Who's going to hire me this black kid from Portland, Oregon, who did go to law school, but when there's 50 other people who are out there who are already doing it, probably doing it better and feel more confident, who am I to be able to share this message? And, you know, I started asking myself and I asked my clients, why not? Who are you not to share this message? You're asking why you, but why not you? What makes you different? What doesn't discount you. And so even with my students who are in the paralegal program, I just tell them like, there's no experience that you have that discounts you or counts you out from being able to be in this program and graduate. You are here now. 
and you can put in the work and get through it. Same thing with business owners. You were here. Everything that you've experienced beforehand has led you to this moment. So use it. Use it as your fuel. Use it as your knowledge base. Just trust in the experiences that you've had so far and trust that they're going to get you to where you need to go. Absolutely. Love that advice. Okay. So you know, as well as I do, that this entrepreneurial life looks very glamorous on the gram and to the outsiders looking in, but there's a lot of discipline required to make sure that you're not setting yourself up for the same type of burnout that a lot of us can see in our corporate careers. So what does self-care as an entrepreneur look like to you? That's a really good question. I've been asking people this, I feel like for the past year, because, you know, on the gram, you see, I'm getting my nails done, self-care, XYZ, self-care, buying the car, self-care. And I think what really solidified it for me is my dad passed away this past December. And I'm that person that always gives everything to everybody else. And when he died, I finally felt like I had an excuse to say, no, I can't do this because I just don't have the energy. I'm tired. I'm not focused. But in the beginning, it was still, I can't do this. I don't feel okay. My dad died. That was the excuse that I used. But then once I got in the habit of saying no, once I got in the habit of just accepting that there are days where my energy is higher and days where my energy is lower, which initially I think was tied to grief. And also that can be really tied to burnout. Now I've gotten into the habit of resting when I'm tired. Friday morning, I was like, okay, I'm going to make my to-do list. I'm going to get all this stuff done. And I got up Friday morning. I was like, I don't want to do any of it. And I didn't, you know, I had a couple of appointments that were on the calendar and I showed up for those, but I let myself sit in bed and read my novel. That's my way to escape. And I am learning just now at 37 years of age to not feel guilty about it. Because when I first started as a business owner, I was reading things like Tim Ferriss and all these other people where it's that hustle culture. We say side hustle, but that unhealthy hustle of if you're not working 20 hours a day, then do you really want it? If you're not up at 3 a.m. making a new product while everyone else is sleeping, you actually going to make it in business? And the answer is yes. Yes, you can. But I'm still unlearning and unpacking some of that. So the question was actually about self-care. So let <laughs> me go back to that. Just learning to say no when it really is a no. My first response is usually yes. And I'm trying to slow myself down, give myself some time to think about, is it really a yes or could it possibly be a no? What are the things that actually fill my cup and my bucket, which it's nice to have my nails done, but that doesn't give me that mental rest that I need. And a friend of mine the other day, he's a licensed clinical social worker. He was saying, ideally you want your self-care to be the opposite sort of force, right? If we're talking about there's a force coming towards you, that's stress. You want your self-care to be the opposite force pushing away so that you actually get a break from whatever it is that is stressful to you. And that really made sense. Like the nails ain't going to get it for me. That's cute and all, but that's not where my brain turns off. So maybe I need to do a weekend where I'm disconnected from the phone and I'm at a beach somewhere and I'm like, I'll see y'all in 72 hours and I'll be good to go on Monday. So those are some of the things that I'm trying to, to put into practice. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that too. I feel like as so many of us online entrepreneurs, like we're on the screens, we're in the offices all day. So if I'm going to be detoxing from all that, it's definitely not going to be in my house because this is where I work. Right. And it's definitely not going to be watching another screen on Netflix right. or something. Like I need to see nature. I need to see that there's like another world out here. 
Mm-hmm. And that does it for me. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. So a lot of new entrepreneurs struggle with their first offer. So how did you get to the place where you felt comfortable offering something for money? Kind of talk us through what your process was for that. That has been a struggle that I think is tied to my money story, right? When as a kid, my dad was self-employed, but he didn't contribute financially to the family. So I as a kid, made up this story or interpreted these actions that I wasn't worth it to spend money on because he would spend money on whatever he wanted to do, but he wouldn't spend money on the things for me. Like my mom took care of everything financially in the household and all of my sports needs and clothing needs and food needs and all of that stuff. So it took me a long time And even now I still sometimes struggle with what I should charge people because that same money story replays. And now I've gotten to a point where I'm like, okay, I understand that this is coming from my childhood. If I were somebody else, what would I charge? And you're not somebody else and you should still charge that amount, right? So it's just reframing those connections and changing those associations. But in terms of making an offer, I did the gamut in litigation, but within employment law initially. And I would do the demand letters before litigation. I would go to court if it didn't work. I would do all of these different things. And then the burnout again started to happen. And I decided that I really wanted to do sort of one thing and to be really good at it. And then I was like, okay, but but I still have all these different 
interest and I want to bring these things because it's like a hodgepodge of tools that you need. And so I came up with almost a year ago thinking about this membership community where I don't have to know everything, but I can bring people into my membership community to give my entrepreneurs the support that they need. But for me, it makes it easier because now I have one offer. I'm saying, you want to work with me? Come into the community. As opposed to, I can form your business, I can write your contracts. Oh, and there's this community over there. And it became easier to do that thinking about marketing and writing my social media posts and directing people to all these different links. I'm like, there's got to be a better way, right? So I boiled it down to one offer, even though that offer has different aspects in it. But my ask of people is to join the community. And there's a couple things that's there because you feel like sometimes in the beginning, you've got to be doing it all, but you don't have to be. And that take some getting used to, especially when as people of color, like I always heard, you got to be twice as good. You got to be visible. You got to net, you got to do all these things, which I think was true, maybe a little bit less true now, but definitely rooted in truth. And then thinking about what do I really want to do? And what do I actually have to do? None of it if I don't want to, but it was making that one offer that was really the game changer in terms of just relieving stress. On the pricing side of it, I had struggled with what do I price it because I'm still an attorney, but it is a membership community. But my goal is to reach the folks who are under-resourced. And in black and brown communities, we don't have a lot of finances behind us to be able to get the help and the exposure that we need. And so I wanted to price it at a point that was a commitment from somebody but not price people out. And so I want you to be thinking about $150 a month, $147 a month to join my community. Oh, I got that. I just need to sell two items and that's good. I got it, right? That's how I got to the pricing structure. Yeah, I've heard that advice in many different circles around entrepreneurship because it can feel like, you know, there's a lot of guilt around charging enough so that your business is actually sustainable and supporting you. But then feeling like if you charge too much, you are essentially like pricing out your clients, like you said. And, you know, one of the things that one of my friends who's a business coach always tells me is like, girl, get out of your client's pockets. Like, Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, if somebody wants to spend money on you, they're going to find a way. Right. They're going to do it in a way that you don't have to do sleazy marketing tactics and like be pressuring the shit out of people. People will figure out a way the same way that they can drop a couple thousand dollars on like some luxury vacation because that's what Mm -hmm. they want. Like if they want to be with you, they're going to figure it out. And it's not fair for us to kind of judge what they can accomplish because then it's almost like we're setting up this thing about superiority. Like we know what's best for you. And it's like the whole point of a coach is to really bring out the best in people, not to, make predetermined decisions about what we think they can accomplish. Right. So, yeah. And I think there's something about, I just remember having this conversation with a friend of mine who's Brazilian in law school and she did not want to go into immigration law because she was like, it's just so stereotypical. She's like all the law students I know, they all go into immigration, which is not true. Right. But that is what it feels like. There is this sense on people of color that you have to give back to your community. And I think most of us want to give back to our community, but there's that fine line between you've made it through this education, go make all the money you can versus are you selling out? Did you leave your community behind you? And I'm pretty sure that's unique to people of color, right? 
that's a whole other layer on being a black attorney or being a brown attorney or just a professional in general, where you are entitled to go out there and make as much money as you want and you have the skills to go and do it versus this pressure spoken or unspoken from our own communities that you forgot about us. You're so expensive. We can't afford you. Who are you really trying to help? Right. Yeah. It's definitely a struggle. It's definitely something that we have to continue to work through as a community because I always feel like if I am just like overwhelmed with abundance, that's when I can actually start making differences. Like that's when I can start Mm -hmm. offering like pro bono stuff because my bills are paid and then some, you know what I'm saying? It's like, instead of feeling like you have to be almost this idea where like, if you're an activist, you have to be poor because you can't Mm -hmm. actually have money and then actually be a good person. There's just way too much stuff that we're mixing in together And we have to start understanding that like to come from a true place of power, we need the financial backing that that power can buy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is part of my mission too. Someone asked me a couple months ago, you are supporting businesses, but how do you feel about social justice and capitalism? I was like, huh, I had not been asked that before, but I thought it was a really good question because you don't have to be, what did my friend call it? This brutal capitalism. We don't have to participate in brutal capitalism. But if we're going to be honest about the economic situation of black and brown folks in America, we got to learn how to make some money. Money talks. It's the politicians are supported by these giant corporations or by family donors to be able to get the seat in the House and in the Senate and our local politics. And if we want our voices to be heard, we have to come to the game with some money behind us. And most of the struggles we're talking about it's financial, it's education. But in America, how do they pay for education? Based on your taxes. So if you're not earning money, you're not going to be able to pay taxes for your child to get a good education in the neighborhood that you live in. So it's all tied together. So I really think that creating more entrepreneurs and more savvy entrepreneurs that understand how to use their businesses to generate wealth, then we are going to be changing the economic situation of people of color in the United States for years to come. And that to me is the answer. Yes, I absolutely agree with you. And it can just be as simple as creating jobs for women of color. Like I only hire women of color. Like that's my blanket mission as Mm -hmm. an entrepreneur. And so when you have the power to make those decisions, those things have ripple impacts, right? Because now you're helping not just a person, you're helping a family. Right. And that has generational impact. It does, right. It's teaching the immediate family around you, what it looks like to be a business owner, to be not talented with money, but like in control of it, right? Or have some skills to bring to the table with it. Then like you said, you're hiring people. You get to choose who to hire. Then you're affecting their families. You become a business within the community. You're changing the community. It's just more representation. So yeah, yeah, it has a lot of social justice impact that you just don't hear being talked about a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad we touched on this. Okay. So let's say, you know, we've got folks who are listening that they've been on the fence about starting a business, but are overwhelmed with where to start. Mm -hmm. What's kind of your leading advice for getting off of the fence? My first question is, what do you really like to do? And what do you think you can keep doing even when you're not excited about it? Because this entrepreneurship journey is not all roses, like we mentioned in the beginning. 
there are days when like this part of the job just sucks and it is still work. Whoever said, you know, follow your passions and you'll never have to work a day in your life is wrong. They're probably probably in wrong by now. (laughs) Totally lied. Totally lied. That is not true. You were going to work, but if you're going to work hard, why not work hard for yourself? So pick something that you enjoy because it just makes the whole thing more enjoyable and makes the moments that you don't really want to do it much smaller because you like the other stuff that you're doing. The other part I would say is to, I always hedge on when to tell people to do this, but I think you need an attorney, you need a CPA, you need a financial advisor and a business coach, right? Because again, there are a lot of people who start their businesses because they have a passion and don't know how to run the business. So if that's you, you got to put those people around you, put that team around you to help you be efficient with your time and with your business. Because again, it's great to have the nail shop, but what about a million dollar nail shop that's going to set your children's children for the future, right? And that can be done, but it takes planning. You got to learn what you don't know and you got to be exposed to those things. So you got to find those people who can open those doors for you. Absolutely. So have a plan, but also make it fun. It doesn't have to be a full-time hustle. It could be a side hustle, but think about how are you going to use this tool, use this passion to generate some wealth. Absolutely. I think as women of color, like we're programmed to want to do everything ourselves. Like we can't ask for help and somehow like outsourcing has become the same in our brains. Right. And I know for me personally, like it took me shit. It took me over like five years to hire a CPA and I would just let tax time stress me out every single year right. until it got to the point where I'm just like, why am I doing this? Like, this is going to cost me a couple hundred dollars and like, I can fucking do something else with my time. Like why not. Right. And now I feel like I'm almost a professional at outsourcing. Like I just hired an attorney yeah. and a brand agent today. I'm like, look, anything that you can take away from me at this point, like, do it. yes, I'm here for it because I've seen the benefit every single time when I free up my time, use the money for actually like buying back my time. Cause I think honestly, that's the whole point of money. It really is. Right. It has always served me. And so mm-hmm. I'm like, y'all, We don't have to do it all. Like, I don't want you to do it all because we already are doing all the shit at work at a regular nine to five. Like, why would you want to translate that experience into your own thing? Because then that's your fault. You did that shit. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. But here's where it starts. It starts because most of us don't have the financial backing to put into a business to be able to hire folks. But the other side of that coin is that I have heard that businesses that start with less money do better than the businesses that start with a couple million dollars because you learn the value of every penny that you have in your account. You're not just going to spend all willy nilly like I got it. You know, you're thinking about it. So one, the resources and two, like as women, we're not taught that it's okay to spend money on ourselves or that it's okay to spend money on an uncertain venture that we want to do just because we're passionate about it. We either need permission from whoever we're married to or from our parents, or we just haven't quite had that agency. And I think in my experience, if I didn't spend the money on something and it didn't go right, there was an excuse that I had because I didn't give it my all, right? But when you get to a place where you can't afford to hire help, hire help, let people shine where they shine. You stay in your lane. You shine in your zone of genius and do what you do, whether you're a writer or an attorney or a coach, do the thing that you do and let the CPA handle 
the CPA, you know, the accounting. I just finally hired a bookkeeper last year to work with me regularly. Game changer. The work is still the same, but I'm not worried about my books. Right. And I can go in there and look at it. I don't know why it took me so long. You know what? I do. Fear. I was just afraid. Yeah. And part of that is that money story again of not knowing how to look at what I was dealing with. Yeah. But I was afraid. And there's something that tells us we got to know it and we got to know it all. If we have a question, we're weak, but that's not true. Mm-hmm. It is not true at all. It's really not, y'all. And I feel like, especially if you're starting a business while you're still working a nine to five, the same way that you save for like all these different goals that you have, start saving a little bit of money every month for your business. And that's going to be the shit that you start investing in. Like that's literally, right. I always call your nine to five, your first angel investor, because that's where mm-hmm. the money's going to come from. And if your goal is to have a business, the same way that you would save money for a house or a car or a vacation, like save some money for that shit. Cause then, and I think there's this idea that like hiring people is always going to cost a ton of money. It's like, no, I started with like those freelance networks Mm -hmm. like Fiverr or Upwork to Mm -hmm. find like a podcast editor and a virtual assistant or a graphic designer, like these are very affordable places to come and find like some one-off project type help that is going to help you level up your business to then get to the point where now you're making five figures a month and then hell yeah, you're going to hire like legit employees, right? But you have to be able to make that initial investment to grow. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, and a lot of that also, again, just comes from fear, right? Yeah. You hear those start talk people all the time about your employee is not your enemy because the employees help spread the word about your business. They invest in your business. And so really it's just learning what you need to learn to be able to make that decision. And don't just go by what your neighbor said down the street or your friend who's a disgruntled business owner said, <laughs> go and get some real advice from somebody who knows and can walk you through the process. Absolutely. So what is your money mantra? My money mantra is just take a look. (laughs) I have spent so much of, and maybe it's also be intentional. I'd spent so much of my childhood and young adulthood. I don't know if I'm still young adult, young adult-ish being afraid. Age is inside of the heart. Don't worry about it. I feel like a real old, old, old lady. And sometimes I'm like, I'm still young, y'all. I still got it. But I spent so many years being afraid to take a look because I was afraid of what I was going to see. And when I would take a look, most of the time it's a lot better than what I thought. What I'm really telling people now is really just to be intentional. Don't leave anything to chance. Don't let fear stop you from making that investment. But be intentional. Seek the information that you need put the money in the right place, the right place for you and work towards your goal. But these things don't happen by accident and you don't have to be perfect. But if you are intentional with where you spend your time and you spend your money, you're going to get to where you're trying to go. Absolutely. Amazing advice. This conversation has been amazing, Asha. So for people who want to find out more about you, follow your journey and work with you, where's the best place for us to find you? Come find me on Instagram, Asha Wilkerson ESQ. That's where I hang out the most. And then all the links to everything I got going on are are in my bio. So find me on Instagram and then check me out. Excellent. And we will make sure to link that in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here. This has been an amazing conversation. Just thank you so much for the encouragement to our communities to just really challenge yourself. And if you have an idea that is in your heart, put that shit out there, y'all. 
please. Amen. Exactly what Janice said. Do it. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm an avid listener and thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to yoquierodineropodcast.com slash start. That's yoquierodineropodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.